say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Stand by. Three, two, one, action. Assume nothing. Brash, bald-faced blasphemy. Question everything. I find it extremely hard to imagine. Open your eyes. It is quite all right to be an atheist. The fastest growing group of people in the country has been measured as being those who have no belief or who are atheists. You don't have to be apologetic or quiet about it. Challenge the opposition. You see religion on a hundred fronts losing the argument. And start thinking. This is The Thinking Atheist Worldwide. Tonight's broadcast brought to you by NatureBox. NatureBox ships great-tasting and healthy snacks right to your door. Forget the vending machine. You can snack smarter and healthier with delicious treats like Apple Cinnamon Crave. Support this show. You get a free NatureBox sampler. Just go to naturebox.com slash thinkingatheist. That's naturebox.com slash thinkingatheist. I know the vast majority of listeners... Catch this show in archive. Just a small sampling of people actually catch the live show. Uh, for those who care, we're actually doing it at a slightly earlier time. I'm experimenting with the idea of actually moving the live show time earlier in the day. 
evenings are great for a number of reasons, but they're just logistically difficult for me. And also at the end of a long day, I'm just shot. My voice is shot. <laughs> Sometimes my mind is just fried and it's hard to get everything together. And earlier in the day show is a little easier. So if you have an opinion one way or the other about when the show live show rather should air, you can always shoot me an email and sound off podcast at thethinkingatheist.com. Shows coming up on the roster next week. We have scheduled a broadcast called Bedtime Bible Stories. It's based on a new book uh, that shares some of the Bible stories that we may not have told our children or may not have had told to us as Christian children. Or maybe if they were told to us, they were sort of sugar-coated. Or maybe they were told literally and just scared the crap out of us. I don't know. But we're going to talk about the stories that children ought to be told out of the Bible and uh, talk to the author of the new book that's coming up next week. Then a show on Scientology Unmasked coming up on the week after that, followed by the debate on Islamic terrorism. Is it a religious problem? Is it a political problem? And it's actually going to be the audio of a debate that's taking place in Omaha at Apostacon, the big event that's happening on the weekend of the 20th, apostacon.org, for details on the event. Then, of course, October brings the month of Halloween, which means shows about fear, irrational fears, ghost stories. Arguably the most popular show that we do every single year is the one where we all gather around the virtual campfire and we tell ghost stories. People love that show. And honestly, I love doing the show. So we're going to round up some great ghost stories and spend about 90 minutes sharing those. And if you've got a great ghost story, maybe it's a personal thing. Maybe it's one of your favorites that you were told or have told to others. You can always email those for uh, the possibility of being aired in October. The email address again is podcast at thethinkingatheist.com. It's an article that uh, I had to pass on to our Facebook users. It was on Pathios. It was written by Libby Ann about a pastor named Mark Driscoll. Now, Mark's been in the headlines off and on for statements he has made, but apparently it has been discovered that like 10, 12 years ago, he used to post on bulletin boards under another name. He posted under William Wallace II. <laughs> and he uh, apparently just directly stated the superiority of men over women, especially in regard to sex. And according to this excerpt that was posted on Libyan's blog, it said this from Mark Driscoll, The first thing to know about your penis is that despite the way it may see, it is not your penis. Ultimately, God created you, and it is his penis. You are simply borrowing it for a while, while his penis is on loan. You must admit it's sort of just hanging out there very lonely, as if it needed a home. Sort of like a man wandering the streets, looking for a house to live in. Knowing that his penis would need a home. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Knowing that his penis would need a home, God created a woman to be your wife. And when you marry her and look down, you will notice your wife is shaped differently than you and makes a very nice home. That's right. Man's penis is on loan from God, and when they have sex, he's simply taking it home. It's just terrifying. It's terrifying.
that these people are taking stages and standing behind podiums and teaching this stuff to willing adults and often children. Sex education in the context of church, it's just terrifying. <sighs> anyway, that's how he apparently sees women. They're simply there to receive the penis of the man. <laughs> I'm reminded of a talk show it was on years ago where they had these, uh, was it Orthodox Jews on, and they were talking about the sexual obligations of the wife and the marital relationship. Now, don't pin me down on, I'm not saying all Orthodox Jews believe this way, but this particular family they were asking it was obviously a very patriarchal situation. The men made all the decisions, and the women were at home barefoot and pregnant. And so they ask outright, is your wife ever allowed to deny you sex? And the man thought about it and he said, you know, with, with good reason, with good reason, she can, she can say no, yeah. And you should have seen the look on his face. His entire disposition was, you know, hey, we're very understanding. You know, if we have a sexual urge and she has a good reason, well, you know, I'll let her off the hook. And we'll do it some other time. Aren't I gracious? Terrifying. Uh, also in the news this week, Willie Robertson, one of the stars of the unbelievably popular television show Duck Dynasty on A&E, is apparently one of the executive producers of the upcoming Left Behind feature film that stars Nicolas Cage. And he has come forward and asked religious people to drag all their atheist friends to the show because he believes people are going to walk out of the theater converted in the name of Jesus Christ. He sees left behind the film as an evangelical tool. And I am this close to producing a short video, a video commentary on Nick Cage himself, and whether or not the church should prop this man up as a tool of evangelism. You know, he's the car thief in Gone in 60 Seconds. Hey, Nick, thou shalt not steal. He played Damon McCready in the film Kick-Ass. He taught his very small daughter how to execute people. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. In Lord of War, he was an arms dealer not exactly turning the other cheek. He was an assassin in the film Bangkok Dangerous, Thou Shalt Not Kill. He was a wizard in the film The Sorcerer's Apprentice, Exodus 22, 18, Thou Shalt Not Suffer a Witch to Live. One of my favorites, leaving Las Vegas. At the end, he drinks himself to death. In the New Testament, Book of Ephesians, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Well, at least at the end of the movie, Nick had a prostitute in bed with him when he died of alcohol poisoning. Yeah, this is the guy you want to put on the silver screen to represent the Christian faith. <laughs> if you get a second, I mention this probably once a year. Just, Nick Cage just seems to come up in these shows. If you get a chance, go to YouTube and type in Nicolas Cage Loses His Shit. 
And some genius put together four minutes of some of the most outrageous Nicolas Cage moments on film, and they are out of control. And I think that clip should be shown right before Left Behind. Just take it to the theater. Just put it right there on the screen right after the previews. Show that little Nick Cage montage before you show Left Behind. I felt personally grieved when I saw that the Discovery Channel has let go three of the Mythbusters. Now, a lot of people are like, oh, the Mythbusters are just Adam and Jamie. That's all I really need. I really like the other people. Grant and Tori, Carrie Byron. I'll admit a little bit of a celebrity crush on Carrie Byron. I don't know if their contracts are up, what happened, but they are not being renewed. I guess they're going to take Mythbusters in a new direction. I get wanting to reinvent a show that's well over a decade old. At the same time, they are fixing what is not broken. They were really stretching a couple years ago, but Mythbusters, it's really brought it back. The last two seasons have been a ball. Just the best job in the world would be to be a Mythbuster. And I enjoy the chemistry of everybody there, and they just took... Three of the five and said, bye, we'll see you later. And I don't think they had already planned a spinoff for them. I don't think they had any sort of a, an offshoot broadcast. I don't think they had done any of that stuff. But the backlash has been out of control. You know the folks at Discovery are doing major damage control now. So I expect an announcement of some spinoff show now. Are they going to do something where they come back occasionally to help out? Or maybe they're going to do a, a live show somewhere. I don't know. But I kind of liked that, that group. I really did. Every time Grant built a robot, it was just awesome. You know. Um, so anyway, we'll see what happens. You know, Discovery Channel used to be a great place to learn things while you were being entertained. I referenced them in my book. In fact, as you could see, great shows on the Discovery Channel about the space race, about our explorations into the cosmos, you know. And they did a, an amazing job of bringing to life one of the greatest stories of humankind. The story of us breaking sort of the, the boundaries of our Earth, and setting foot on the moon and going far beyond to actually begin to understand our solar system and to try to better understand how our universe is you know, sort of put together. And uh, now, I mean, Discovery Channel is just one crap show after another. Anyway, maybe they believed that the firing of these people or not renewing these people would make Mythbusters a better show. We'll see. Maybe they'll be proven right in the end. You know, I've been wrong before. Tonight's show is about believing strange things, and not necessarily just religious things, but if you ever really believed something that was just odd, just strange... And you look back and you shake your head and you go, how did this happen? That is what tonight's broadcast is. Actually, I just said tonight, didn't I? There's an old habit. That's what this morning's broadcast is. And we'll kick it off in about 60 seconds. You know, Nature Box is so sure you're going to love all the stuff on their website. Right now they're offering something very cool. It's free snacks. Free snacks. So you in the audience can try them out. Just check them out. I just got my latest box in three days ago. And this month we did a repeat. We actually love the Kung Pao pretzels and the Sriracha roasted cashews so much, we just ordered those suckers again. They're spicy as hell, <laughs> but they're amazing. 
Also in the new box, Zesty Noodle Crunch. We're trying out the salted caramel pretzel pops and the coffee kettle popcorn. Zero artificial ingredients, zero trans fats, zero high fructose corn syrup, and a primo alternative to the blocks of sugar and fat on the candy bar aisle or in the vending machine. They have hundreds of options on the naturebox.com website. And right now you got the chance to get free snacks and just try them out for yourself. Hit the web link I'm going to give you. Naturebox will send to your door a sampler box that features five of their most popular snacks. So start your free trial right now and log on to naturebox.com slash thinking atheist. A great way to support the show. Naturebox.com slash Thinking Atheist. JP out of Canada sent a message in and said this, I'm a long-time listener and a big fan of the show. I love how you present yourself in your warm, welcoming tones. Thank you very much. My family and I love your ghost stories episodes, and the effects you add are a brilliant touch. Oh, you're going to love the show coming up next month, pal. You're going to love it. Anyway, not sure if this really relates to your topic, but I wanted to tell a couple of stories about my kids and how I've been trying to raise them to think about what they hear and are told. My eldest son was about 13 or 14. During the summer, we went camping. It was a nice, relaxing evening around the campfire, and he was doing what most kids do at that age. Heck, I still do it. He was sticking a stick he'd found into the fire until it was ablaze, and then he would take it out and hold it inches from his face as he gently blew on it, watching the tip glow. Knowing how accident-prone they are, they have my genetics after all, I warned him several times throughout the evening not to stick it so close to his face he might hurt himself. I was subsequently ignored. After a while of letting him do this, I looked at him and said, Hey, touch that stick to the end of your nose. He looked at me, looked at his mother, then looked at the glowing stick. I watched as he slowly brought it to the tip of his nose. Next thing I know, the stick goes flying to the far side of the campfire, and he's howling in pain. After my wife took care of the tiny blister on the tip of his nose, I asked him, So did you learn anything? With a terrible scowl on his face, he looked at me and said, Yeah, not to listen to you. Now, I guess that could be called tough love, but I think that's one of the strangest things we all believed in at one point, that our parents know everything and would never lead us astray. Since then, when I tell him something that may not seem quite right, he'll give me that squinty-eyed look. Are you fucking with me? <laughs> Your child has that look? Which is a look he tells me he's been giving to a lot of people. I've even said... A few things that were true but sounded extraordinary, so he gave me the look. Disappeared to his room and computer for a while, and then came back agreeing with me and listing some facts he discovered to go along with it. The other story is about one of my other sons. This one just turned nine this year, but has always been a very sensitive soul. He's been easily spooked by monsters and creatures out of scary movies, so we've never watched that stuff around him. But even a commercial for some new horror movie about ghosts will have him unable to sleep at night. Clowns and baby dolls also can freak him out quite a bit. One of those creepy dolls with her eyes will open and close depending on their position had him really worked up after our dog half-chewed off its face. Heck, even I found that a bit creepy looking, so since telling him that these things don't exist, 
I changed tactics a little bit, something my wife and I have a rather large collection of, is incense. The boys like it, but we don't light it very often. One night, three hours after being sent to bed, I asked him, what is it that you're afraid of? And he told me it was a commercial for a Chucky movie he saw, where the doll was up to its usual tricks. I told him I had just the thing for demon-possessed dolls. I came back with a stick of incense called Midnight and told him that this particular incense is something that the demons can't stand. And as long as you can smell this, they won't come within three blocks of our house. I lit the incense and placed it in his room and never heard a peep out of him the rest of the night. For several nights after that, we'd repeat the routine. Different incense would ward off different scary things, and I always seemed to have the right stick for the right occasion. In the last year or so, we started watching a show called Face Off on the Sci-Fi Channel where makeup artists make scary creatures, and you get to see the process of how they do it. He's become enthralled with the show, and it's helped ease his fears in ways the incense never could. Rather than telling him to toughen up, I helped give him tools of his own to combat the issues he was having, sometimes telling someone, oh, just get over it, will not help. You have to help them create the tools they need to get over whatever it is that's causing the problem, from within the context of why they believe it to be scary in the first place. I hope you don't think I'm a terrible person for these stories, causing personal injury to my one son while feeding the false beliefs of the other. But I think in the end they have both learned something of value they can take with them throughout their lives. The one learned that even though he may trust someone, what they say may not always be trusted. Think about what you're being told and evaluate it for yourself. The other learned that the things that scare you and provide you comfort both come from within. You're the only one who can overcome these things. And regardless of what tool you use, incense for monsters or mace in your pocket for muggers, it's all about how you convince yourself to be brave in the situation that makes all the difference. The incense didn't get rid of any evil spirits because they don't exist, but he overcame his fear through his own inner strength. JP, thank you so much for the message. Well, I cringed a bit when I read that you told him to stick a burning stick against his face. Yeah, I, I probably wouldn't have done that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if he's going to uh, stick his fingers too close to the fire and learn the lesson after being warned, yeah, I get that. But I like mostly from your message the idea that you sort of demystified what the monsters are. That's just a, a great, great lesson, isn't it? Let them see the people behind the masks, behind the horror stories, behind all the uh, you know, Cairo syrup blood that they use in all of these horror movies. And they begin to see it mechanically. They begin to see it as products of somebody's imagination. And then if they enjoy those types of things, and some of us do enjoy horror movies or scary movies or whatnot, you're not psychologically traumatized by it, but it's more like getting on a roller coaster. You can hop on for the ride. Whenever it's over, you shake it off and you get on with your real life. It's amazing how facts seem to set you free. John sent a message and said, As embarrassing as this is, I used to have a strange belief that the King James Bible was perfect and inspired. 
I'd been shown differences in the Bible translation shortly after I converted, and not knowing anything about textual criticism, I accepted the King James as God's word for the English-speaking world for a while, until determining it wasn't true. After a few years, I returned to this belief after noticing alarming differences in translations. For the last six months of my Christian life, I was a hardcore King James onlyist. It made sense to me at the time. I always had doubts about God in the King James, but I would seek out materials that confirmed my bias rather than study materials to the contrary. I was convinced that new versions, or as I called them perversions, were a mixture of truth and lies. Translators of the new versions were misled, or at worst, demonic. I think I tried to hold on to this belief because if God existed, then he must have had a perfect book without error. Ultimately, it was King James onlyism, along with reading it cover to cover, that led me out of the faith. Thank you for your podcast and all that you're doing. Now, thank you very much for the message. I attended a small Baptist church when I was growing up, and they were King James onlyists. They didn't. I've actually heard some people in the faith. It doesn't happen often who refuse to read any translations because they only will go to the original King James. They'll say it just like that. You know, if you want God's true word, you've got to go back to the original King James. Then your head explodes. <laughs> Little things called Greek and Hebrew. Look them up, people. I've got on the switchboard, my first call is area code 410. Thanks for waiting. You're on the Thinking Atheist radio podcast. Who's this? Hi, this is Justin from Maryland. Thanks for calling the show, Justin. What's going on, man? I wanted to make a quick comment about that, uh, the Nicolas Cage story that you shared, and I couldn't also help but think of Kevin Sorbo, because he's been in the news yeah. so much recently talking about his faith and how atheists you know, all know that we all know that God exists, and we're just denying it. While you know he made his 15 minutes of fame playing a Greek god, uh, or a Greek <laughs> demigod at least, <laughs> Why would he do that and confuse so many Christians that might have been watching that show that there might have been a different God? <laughs> he portrayed just found that a, funny. a false deity on international exactly. television for a period of years. I think if, if heaven does exist, I think he's going to get a couple of marks against him for that one, for sure. Definitely going to lose a few rooms in the mansion for that little stunt, isn't it? <laughs> it is uh, amazing to exactly. see his ilk. You know, he and Kirk Cameron and... I don't know if Nick Cage falls into that uh, category yet. I mean, he's still in quite a few mainstream films. But a lot of these people, I think, are on a quest for relevance. Maybe they're former child stars, or uh, maybe their particular Hollywood star has really fallen. And so this is just the next niche where they can get headlines. I mean, otherwise, would you and I be talking about Kevin Sorbo? Probably not. You know. Yeah, I don't think so either. But the, uh, the story that I wanted to share, and I guess I, once I've heard about your ghost stories thing, I might just maybe share a, a little bit of it or a more topical kind of general view because I might want to call back for the, the ghost stories version, um, but was about uh, ghosts and uh, evil spirits, I guess. Um, I grew up as a Christian and uh, was told by my mother that back in the 70s that her and her family lived in a haunted house and I was told these fantastic stories about all the different ghosts that they saw and things that they heard and uh, 
deceased relatives that they saw and all of this. And I was told, you know, as a Christian, that all these ghosts don't exist and that all of those things were demons trying to, I guess, play tricks or uh, tempt them in some way, I suppose. I'm not sure what, what, uh, what, the, you know, what the purpose of demons are. I guess in the Christian faith, they're just trying to scare us and spook us. But well, they're trying to infect us. I mean, they are the poison, right? They're going to infect us and taint us and keep us from heaven. I think we're probably right. part oh, of okay. uh, Satan's vengeance against God. Satan being outcast, the devil, his minions are now, they've come to steal, kill, and destroy. So they're going to come and infect as much of humanity as, as possible in any way possible. Did you believe in demonic activity? I mean, would you have thought some of this stuff was going on in those homes? I think I did, but it was more removed from me because this is like happened when they were all teenagers and living in the house back in the 70s. But, you know, I, as a skeptic, I recently brought that topic up at a family gathering and tried to understand you know, what is it exactly that all of you saw? And they all saw different things. They all didn't see the same thing. And it didn't, I don't think any of them saw the same thing at the same time. They all independently saw things. So as a skeptic, I'm trying to figure out, you know, was there like a gas leak in the house? Was there, you know, was there something in the water? There must have been some environmental hazard that caused you guys to see hallucinations. And of course, they deny all of this and say that, it was Satan. So yeah, it was real because I saw it. Doesn't really hold up necessarily in a court of law, does it? Right. And then, kind of intermittently, whenever something strange would happen, it kind of almost seemed like the argument from ignorance. Whenever something strange would happen, it would be you know I don't know why this happened. Therefore, it must have been a demon. Some you know like a a vase would fall over onto the ground in a different room. We would just hear a crash and something. And we would come in and there would be like a vase on the ground, but it wouldn't be broken. And so immediately her thought was, oh, this must be a demon. And she would go through the house and, uh, you know, cleanse the house, quote unquote, so to speak, saying, you know, in the name of Jehovah, leave this house, blah, blah, blah. So several times during my childhood, we had these kind of just freak occurrences. And this would all be blamed on demons. And then the house would be cleansed. Justin, if you need, I'll, uh, I'll ship you some incense. Apparently that kind of thing works on monsters. And... Yeah, but only, only the midnight, only the midnight stick, right? Uh, well, I don't know. I have different types of incense for different types of demons. We'll, we'll have to go to the uh, demon incense store and do a little shopping, and we'll uh, try to find some, uh, some cures for you, all right? Sounds good. <laughs> all right, man. Well, thanks for uh, but yeah, listening. Maybe I'll, I'll save some of the more detailed ghost stories, and maybe I'll call back for the... Uh, Towards, more towards Halloween for the ghost story episode. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks so much for being a part of the show. Take care of yourself. No problem. Thanks a lot, Seth. I once knew a couple that bought a new home. And before they moved their furniture into the home, they walked the perimeter of the house. They actually walked it twice. They walked right up against the walls of the home on the outside. I think they actually did the inside, too. And they... They prayed and claimed Jesus and his power over the house before they would move in and live there, before they certainly slept in the house. They walked all the way around and just said some prayer, some mantra. I'm trying to remember, but they told us the story. Yes, mm -hmm. we walked all the way around the house and we named it and claimed it and told Satan he had no business being in our home. This was going to be a house for Jesus Christ. So they actually walked the perimeter of the walls 
and then they went to the edge of the property and they actually walked the outside, walked the perimeter of the fence. So apparently they kept all the bad juju out. And then once that was done, they had all of the furniture brought in and they were able to actually spend the night in the house. But you can't really move in and enjoy the place unless you remove all the bad juju. So uh, that was an odd belief. I used to have a strange belief when I was a kid. It had nothing to do with religion. I was very young. And I don't know if they have these in other countries, but in the United States, they had a phone number that you called for information. Essentially, it was phone numbers. You know, we didn't have Google. We didn't have the Internet. We didn't have all these tools. Didn't even have really a phone book handy. You can call a phone number. And you say a name of a person or business, and the operator on the other end would give you the phone number you were looking for. And then you would dial it on a rotary phone and you would get a hold of them. Well, I was a young kid. I didn't know it was about phone numbers. I just thought it was information, like about anything. So I was over at my grandparents' house, and there was a television show that was supposed to start at 7 o'clock. My favorite show on Saturday night. We used to watch The Love Boat and Fantasy Island, back to back. Love Boat didn't start at its proper time. So I picked up the phone and called information. <laughs> and I said, pardon me, but Love Boat's supposed to be on Channel 8 at 7 o'clock? And it's 7.15, and there's something else on television, and I don't understand why it's not on. Could you tell me if it's been moved to another channel, or if they're going to play it on another day? And there's this pause on the other end. And... Then that lady tore me a new one. <laughs> she was literally pissed off. Like I'd wasted her time. She's like, how the hell do I know that? My job isn't to tell you what's on television. My job is to give out phone numbers for businesses and people. Click. Hung up on me. I'm standing there with the receiver in my hand. Just been kicked in the teeth. I just wanted to know what time the love boat started dramatize me. Of course, this brings the question, why is my family allowing a young child to watch a television show where people did more bed hopping than the cast of Animal House? Right? We used to think Love Boat was just a benign, just a happy little show. People are falling in love on a boat. It's beautiful. Actually, no, these people are hopping in and out of the sack every five minutes outside of the construct of marital wedlock. That's adultery. Why was I being allowed to watch this show? And then Fantasy Island after that, well, there's a shitload of witchcraft in that show. All sorts of demons and spirits and whatnot. No wonder I'm so screwed up. Not sure why I shared that story with you. A little insight in my personal life. <laughs> uh, I had a message in from Nishi. This was on the uh, Facebook page said, in the late 90s, there was a paranormal boom. TV shows and books were largely about ghosts and aliens. I was always intrigued by the stories and enjoyed the mystery. After a few too many stories, though, a TV show tipped me over the edge and into serious fear. One night, I saw a show claiming that aliens had come to a farm. There was plenty of shaky camera to go with it. In one scene, an alien... Quote-unquote alien was seen peering through a window of a house. 
The hoax video was good. Screaming and panic followed from the cameraman. Being nine at the time, I absolutely freaked. For the next three years, I was truly afraid of aliens. Every night I lay in bed expecting to find them hiding in my room or surrounding my bed. I slowly grew out of the fear by the age of 13. Looking back at myself, I shake my head in embarrassment. I never believed in God as a child, but aliens sure got to me. Thank goodness I'm no longer that person. Cut yourself some slack, Nishi. You were nine. That'd have freaked me out. I saw a show about Bigfoot that had the same, very same effect on me. It was a quote-unquote documentary about Bigfoot sightings, and this is late 70s. And it shows this family sitting in their living room, and you see a huge shadow appear through the curtains on the front porch. And then nothing happens. Now, they're sitting there. They don't see the shadow. They're watching television or distracted in some other way. I just remember mostly images. It's been so long. I was very young. And then the window shattered. I'm guessing a hand or something had gone through it. I don't remember why the window shattered. And they rushed over and opened the front door, and standing right there, towering well above the threshold of the doorway, was Sasquatch. Now, obviously, some dude in a Bigfoot costume, but I was a very young child. I was probably about nine. I didn't sleep for weeks. Not only is Bigfoot out there, but he shows up at your house. Right now, he could be standing on the porch. He's going to break a window. Crawl in here. Who knows what he's going to do? Yeah, that's creepy. You're forgiven, Nishi. Area code 252. You're on the Thinking Atheist radio podcast. Who's this? Hey, Seth. This is Chris in North Carolina. Hey, man. Thanks for calling the show. We're talking about believing yeah, strange things. What do you have for us today? Well, this is a... This is one of the religious things, but I grew up in an evangelical Pentecostal Assemblies of God type family, and my dad was a preacher. So um, I grew up with the whole speaking in tongues thing. Are you familiar with that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I grew up believing that, that I literally talked to God via God through this language that only he understood. Did you just babble, or did you kind of feel something when you were speaking in tongues? Oh, no, I completely felt something. This very transcendental-like experience up until the time I was about 20 years old. And I completely believed that what was happening was real. I know now that it, that it wasn't real. Well, what um, do you think it was? It's even, I mean, if you're speaking in tongues and you feel a spiritual, quote-unquote, spiritual presence, how do you explain what's coming out of your mouth, man? I was doing it myself. I mean, retrospectively, I, I realized that, and it's pretty embarrassing to talk about to say that I, you know, that I did these things. There was nothing supernatural about it, but you just sort of, uh, man, it's really tough to explain. You just sort of get caught up in the moment. And I guess it's uh, belief precedes the action, sort of a thing. You know, Dan Barker, a former pastor, comes from deep Pentecostal religious faith. And I think, was it he who said, or maybe it was Jerry DeWitt who said it was kind of a form of self-hypnosis. I mean, you you get in the moment and you just get caught up. And before you know it, you're doing it. And I think Jerry said he could actually take himself to a place where he could make himself do it today. He could actually 
sort of manifest the speaking of tongues today if he so chose, which I thought was interesting. I've heard Jerry DeWitt say that because I remember thinking that would be awfully difficult for me knowing what I know now. But at the same time, I understand where he's coming from. Bit of a paradox when I was uh, growing up, you know, the uh, Pentecostal side believed that this was the manifestation of God himself. And then if you were a Baptist, you thought that this was demonic activity, right? And God didn't ordain contemporary speaking of tongues, so the people that were doing it, they're being deceived by Satan. So it's the same instance of speaking in tongues, and you've got two Protestant Christian denominations, both pointing in opposite directions to explain the source. It was actually comical when you look at it in retrospect. And I'm glad you escaped. How are you doing today? I'm good. It was a long process, a really long process, very difficult. I think you probably understand, Most a lot of people listening understand, but it was really difficult. I'm 38 now, and I'm doing well. I've finally come to terms with a lack of belief. Well, don't let me pry too deeply into your life, but did you struggle with, you know, some anger? They brought me up and didn't give me a choice. I was indoctrinated before I had a chance to really discover the world. I wasted years. I mean, did any of that stuff go on in your brain? Yeah, it did so shortly because I don't want to take up all of your time. I'm Go sure ahead, man. We're good. Talk I got to. Time. Um, well, I remember when I was, the short story, I remember when I was five years old and my grandmother, I did the sinner's prayer with my grandmother. You know, I grew up in a Pentecostal environment. So I remember, you know, at the age of four or five, six years old, falling asleep in the revivals on the church pews and people were, you know, running up and down the aisles and screaming and yelling and speaking in tongues and, I remember my parents talking about, my dad used to say that he could face all demons outside the church, you know, through the walls that were trying to to prevent the move of the Holy Spirit. And so that's the sort of environment I grew up in, very heavily indoctrinated. At one point, I thought that God had called me to be a preacher. And then my dad and I sort of have fallen out. And uh, I sort of started just, I picked up an atheist book and started reading it, really more or less to piss him off. Um, And then one thing led to another because I sort of had to read the book rather than just staring at the pages, and it sort of sparked my curiosity. And um, through about a 10-year process of deconversion, I was left with a lot of anger. And for several years, I I really spent my life being fueled by hatred and, and anger, and I was pissed off at the world and at my family, and I was mad at everybody who was religious or claimed to be a Christian, and it really sort of wrecked my life, to be quite honest with you. And then I became that cynical atheist, the the one that's uh, just sort of filled with vitriol. That was me. From my perspective, you have every right to be angry. I mean, we both do. Anybody who was programmed and has gone through the long, often difficult process of deprogramming out of religious belief and understanding that... Even if they were doing it for reasons of love, they were essentially fear pimps. There was danger, there was the devil around every corner, and if you doubt, if you ask too many questions, if you even, I was told if you question the speaking of tongues, you risk blasphemy, which is, according to the scriptures, the unforgivable sin. Now you're guaranteed hell. Well, you heard that? Yeah, I spent half my childhood because nobody, they would talk about blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. And then you'd ask what it was, and you'd get one explanation, but then it didn't really make sense. And, you know, a month later, you'd get a slightly different explanation. So you never, I never really knew 
and then you, and then you were told there were things that could blaspheme the Holy Ghost, but that people weren't really aware of. And um, and so I spent half my childhood scared to death that I had blasphemed the Holy Ghost. I would you know I would tell a lie or oh, or I would say a word, and I was scared to death I'd blaspheme the Holy Ghost. And now I was going to burn in hell. And when I was ten, you know, nine or ten years old, I I remember I used to think about I I used to lay in my room and think about committing suicide. Um, oh. oh, just because I, I was so convinced that that um. You know, that if I had that I, if I had done this unpardonable sin and was going to burn forever anyway, I would rather just go ahead and die than to have to you know live every day scared of of whether I had or whether I hadn't. And it was that sort of hanging in limbo, not knowing whether I was going to burn forever. That being in limbo was just unbearable. It just makes my blood boil as I listen to you tell this story. You know. Some of the worst things that yes. people do, they do for these supposed best of intentions. And the children are often yeah. in the crosshairs. But the good news is, yeah. is that you did escape. And now you get to discover yeah. every day of the world as it really is. You get to be curious. You get to change your mind. You get to experience a much wider and grander and more colorful palette than we ever had when we were locked into those tiny halls of religion. So... You know, even though you and I were late to the party, we got there, brother. I'm glad for you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'll say this before I go. You know, the thing, um, it, was, it was a long journey, and you know, there's, I think a lot of us are always left with the, well, what if, you know, and that, that little thought about, well, what if I'm wrong? I think it lingers for a lot of people. I don't know if some people ever get over it. But I'll have to say, you know, that I was always taught that God loved me more than, than I could ever love another human being. And, uh but obviously, if I, you know, that he would sentence me to hell if I don't cave to his every whimper. And uh, the one thing that finally pushed me over the edge that really sealed my confidence was seeing my son born. And uh, I, I remember looking at him, and when you look at your child born and you realize the love, it's just sort of an instantaneous thing for most parents, I think. And and it was at that moment that I realized, no matter what my son ever does, that I could never burn him forever. Um, you know, but then God, who loves me more than I could love another human being, would send me to hell. And I, that's kind of when I realized it was all bullshit. Yeah. Your son's so, lucky to have you, man. And the idea that there's yeah, a rational it. parent who is, you know, who's going to discover the world along with his child, that's an awesome thing. And I'm excited for both Yeah, we, we don't discuss it in our house. But the, the neighbors, this is, this is it, and I'm getting off the phone. We had a neighbor who apparently approached my son about a year ago, asking if he believed in God. And my son had never, we, he was only six. We've never discussed those issues in our house yet. And so he just kind of looked at him bewildered and they tried to explain, I just let it go and didn't say anything. They tried to explain to him that who, that God was this person that lives in the sky and that the devil was in the ground. And if, um, if you did bad in your life, that you would burn below forever. And we had just planted some trees in our backyard and my little boy had helped me dig the hole. And so he looks at him really bewildered and says, so you're telling me that there's fire underneath the ground and there's somebody down there that's going to burn. And they're like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, no, 
I just helped my daddy dig holes. That's not true. <laughs> and he just looks at him like, like they're completely stupid. And he turns around and walks away. Dude, I hope you had a conversation with the neighbors about accosting a six-year-old child without his parents' presence and threatening him well, it was with the, eternal torment. it was torment. the neighbor's kids. Oh, it was the, the kids neighbor's kids. It. So they were like seven or eight. So oh, they didn't I thought it was either. the parents. I was getting ready to go, you know, ape shit. Oh, I thought, oh, jeez, no, no. somebody needs to be knocking on a door, no. man. Put the kibosh on that. No, I would have went ape shit if that had been the case. <laughs> well, thanks well, for the thanks call. thanks for your time. I appreciate you letting me share the uh, speaking in tongues thing. No, dude. I, I, you and I probably uh, walked a lot of the same ground as far as the theology is concerned. So thanks for sharing your story. Thanks for listening. And uh, again, I'm glad you escaped, man. The world's a beautiful place. It can be a beautiful place when we see it outside of the sort of the boundaries of superstition. Take care of yourself, all right? Yep, you too. Thanks. Take care. I guess that's an oversimplification. I mean, it's often a harsher place if you don't believe in a happy heaven in the clouds. Sometimes we have to accept the harder reality over the happy fantasy. But it's a beautiful thing to be able to to explore the world as it really is. That's what I mean about beauty. You know, that's what I mean about being able to live a truthful life, even if it's harder, even if the realities we face are more difficult, even if it ain't all peaches and cream. To be able to live in the real world, to know that our existence is a temporary one, but we are alive and we are breathing and we are loving and we are making memories and we are connecting and we are part of all this. I think that's a beautiful thing. Maybe it's just because I'm a sappy kind of dude, but that's how I come down on it. Had an email from Claire. who said, this one came from my great-great-grandmother who was born in Ireland in 1840. When you came upon a body of fresh water and you found mussel shells on the shore, you were supposed to wade out into the water and lay the shells in the water so the we people would have rafts to cross the pond with. It was also helpful to put a couple of small twigs on the shell for the we people to have oars. Man, they must have been very we people. Also, when I was five, a small boy down the street, a fellow Catholic, persuaded me that in order to atone for our sins, we had to pour dirt down the storm drain so that our drinking water would be muddy. But I don't want to drink muddy water, I said. He said Jesus wanted us to. I wouldn't drink water for a couple of days until my mom asked me why. Then she explained that storm drains carried water away from the water system, and Jesus wouldn't want anyone to drink muddy water. Well, of course. Had an email from someone who asked to remain anonymous. Said this, My family moved from rural Arkansas to rural Nebraska just before I was born. They were, I guess, fundamentalist Christians. We just went to the Christian church. I grew up with Sunday school, vacation Bible school, Bible camp, got baptized, the whole thing. Not that strange for rural Midwest fundies. We used to ride around in the back of a pickup with the hippie Jesus Freak Pastor's assistant on summer evenings and sing Do Lord at the tops of our lungs. I remember that song. Do Lord, oh do Lord, oh do remember me. I remember that song. <laughs> Look away beyond the blue. When I was very young, my older brothers succumbed to paranoid schizophrenia. We were already very socioeconomically challenged, so he never got good treatment. His bedroom and his music became infested with demons. 
He painted his bedroom black, floor to ceiling. He went into and out of the state mental hospital. Some of my earliest memories are of him chasing us younger kids around the house with an axe, trying to kill us to save us from the demons. And we had to run to our other brother's house. Eventually, the pastor came over and they burned all of my brother's classic rock albums to keep the demons from talking to him. Jesus. Now, we believed... As kids, for years, there were demons in that room. And that in the back closet, there were vampires. This was not a trivial belief. Our house was essentially evil. When he was home from the hospital, he would sit in the kitchen, a sort of evil aura around him. What else? My mother had to clean a church for money. I was terrified to go in there because I thought the last place they'd look for vampires would be a church. So, of course, that must be where the vampires were hiding. I was scared for years to go anywhere in that huge church alone. In late high school, I was born again. Became a real holy roller for Jeebus just before, and the first year or so of college. The born-again experience had helped me, actually, to get off drugs and screwing around and to get to college. In college, I fell in with a fundamentalist cult. They were and are called... I'm going to try this. The Geftakis Assembly? You can Google them. G-E-F as in Frank, T as in Tom, A-K-Y-S as in Sam. Getafis or Getafis Assembly? I thought they were just the bomb. I gave up everything for them. So even though I was a biology and a history major, I would go to worship all weekend, prayer meetings, go on outreach in the park, speak at county fairs, you name it. My life revolved around them more than around my college. I eventually had a sort of breakdown and dropped out of college and the cult, and the college admin refused the cult admission to campus anymore. They were a private college, so they could do that. In grad school, I was having some serious problems with stress. Years later, I found that I was bipolar. And they saw a sort of amateur therapist who diagnosed me as being demonically possessed and wanted me to go through an exorcism. That was weird. Now I'm an atheist who follows a Buddhist life philosophy. It was very, very hard to not be angry at a being that does not exist. I grew up in abject poverty, cruelty, and fear. Why would God do that to someone who prayed and prayed to him. I guess what relates most to your question is how I could be studying biology and believe in evolution and science and believe the universe is 13 odd billion years old, but also believe the Bible. I think at the time I kind of reconciled the two by telling myself that the Bible was more of a guidebook. However, to my gay older brother, I would tell that it's clear in the Bible you should not be gay. Several years later, look who's also gay. Me. I'm not really positive how I believed in both science and faith. Anyway, there you go. Part of my story. Chapter 16 in the book My Friends Tell Me I Should Write. Thanks for sharing your story. I don't get how people who are homosexuals defend the Bible. Those people do exist. Some of them preach 
in some of the more liberal Christian churches. Have you not read that thing? Have you not read what the Bible says should happen to you? Feel the same thing about females. How does any woman champion this book? A book that mutes her voice, tells her that she is to defer, to lean on the big man, like that pastor at the beginning of the show. Essentially, you are, you're like a little penis shack. God made you that way. So shut up and wait for your man to show up to the bedroom. How do these women go out on stage and pitch this insanity? Makes me crazy. Area code 850. Thank you so much for waiting. You're on the Thinking Atheist radio podcast. Who's this? Hi, this is Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for waiting. What's going on? I wanted to ask if maybe one day we can have a show about philosophy because I think philosophy can really help with the atheist movement. We might tackle that down the way. I know that it's a rabid debate. You know, the uh, there are many people like Lawrence Krauss who think philosophy is a waste of time, and <laughs> and then there are many, uh, many others, many of them philosophers, who believe that it is absolutely critical in understanding life and uh, sort of the nuances to it. So it might be something we'll cover down the way. Sure. Did you have a strange thing you wanted to share, which is the topic of our show today? Have you ever believed anything that's bizarre or strange? When I was young, I used to believe in werewolves. Like they walk among us? Like the, uh, have you ever seen that Goosebumps episode with the werewolf? I think it's called Fever Swamp. Never seen it. Well, I saw that when I was little, and that scared me. <laughs> I used to think that I would hear them howling at night, or maybe one of them would crawl into my room. Well, I'm glad that I grew that one. At least now you can sleep at night, huh? Yeah. Awesome. Well, Sarah, thanks for calling the show, and thanks for listening. Much appreciated. You're welcome. Area code 970. You're on the Thinking Atheist radio podcast. Who's this? Hi, this is Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for calling. Did you used to believe strange things or what? Yes, I did. I believed a bunch of them. I'm a former uh, Pentecostal turned Presbyterian, now atheist. And I used to believe that uh, God spoke directly to me and I spoke directly to God. Uh, I also could speak in tongues, cast out demons, heal the sick, and uh, go any place in the world through intercessory prayer. Now, what so, do you mean by uh, go believed, anywhere uh, in the world? Hang on. You mean you could yeah, sure. manifest yourself in body or spirit in another place? Yeah, what I would do is I'd go in my prayer closet and uh, get into the state of uh, praying in tongues. And as I was praying in tongues, I would uh, see myself in another country. Um, and the interesting thing is I would often see another person praying, and they would be praying in English, what I was praying in tongues. So there would be like this kind of mutual prayer thing going on with someone in a completely different place, you know, maybe Japan, Mexico, uh, India, wherever. It's like you were using flu powder from the Harry Potter films. You just immediately transported <laughs> somewhere else magically. It it was, yeah, kind of like that. Uh, I really believed that it was real. 
very heavily involved in the Assemblies of God. I was a graduate from Central Bible College. My husband and I pastored Assemblies of God churches for about 15 years. We pioneered a church in Utah back in the 80s during the Jimmy Swaggart scandal, which was really interesting. And then uh, we spent one year down in Pensacola, Florida at the Brownsville Revival with Stephen Hill, John Kilpatrick, and Dr. Michael Brown. And so I saw a multitude of strange things at the Brownsville Revival. So you were probably a spectator to the whole Jim and Tammy Faye Baker fall from grace. Right. You were around for this. Of course, I'm thinking swaggered scandals. Which one? Because he's got sort of a resume, <laughs> multiple falls from grace. But uh, I remember the yeah. 80s was hot for televangelists and a lot of these people who were exposed as charlatans or you know skimming off the top or just filling their own pockets or you know right. doing some prostitute somewhere. It was just crazy. It was everywhere. Yeah, that was. You know, I was really big into the revival side of of Christianity. Um, And, you know, spending that year down in Pensacola was probably a saving grace, in a sense, because after I spent that year uh, in Pensacola, we moved back to Colorado. And at that point in my life, I said, that's it. I can't can't do this anymore. And I told my husband that the relationship between he and I was pretty much over and later came out as a homosexual. Your whole life is just essentially turned upside down from those days. Or let me say it maybe more accurately, it's turned right side up since those days. Huh? I wrote a, an email, well, not an email, but a Facebook message to my ex-husband explaining where I was at. He said I lost my faith, and I said, no, I graduated from it. Yeah. And just talked about how faith was like training wheels, and I didn't need it anymore. And I'm really a lot happier, and my mental health is so much better. I, I don't have this cloudy, fuzzy thing going on where I'm always trying to figure out who God is and what God wants, and, you know, am I doing this right? Now, my life is a lot more peaceful. I'm not constantly praying in tongues and and all of that. So it's it's been great. And I do identify with a caller earlier who talked about anger, though. That's been the one thing that's been really hard for me is to get over the the feelings of the years that I've wasted. We may have to do a show about dealing with the anger. Uh, I know Greta yeah. Christina has uh, a book and a speech, Why Are You Atheists So Angry?, that talks about why many people are pretty pissed off, often legitimately so. I think their anger has a constructive place in the conversation. It's hard, though, sometimes to get over the feelings of betrayal and just rage when you see all the damaging things that were done to you in the name of religion. I'm excited you're breathing the free air and that you're comfortable in your own skin. And I think that's just awesome sauce. So well done. Well yeah, played. Thank you. Thank you, Seth. <laughs> Thanks for everything that you do. And, you know, I really appreciate the way you guys reach out and publicly challenge faith. I've got three grown children who have all come out of religion and we talk about some of the crazy things I used to do, like running demonized cats out of the house with brooms and and scaring, you know, just scaring the death out of my kids. And I, we laugh about it, but inside sometimes it hurts because I think about what they went through. At this point in their lives, though, they are deity free. They are they've crawled yeah. out of superstition along with you. Yeah, they did. 
they they did, and I think a lot of it was they were raised as pastor's kids, and then they saw um, you know their parents go through divorce, and they saw me go through the coming out process, and it really kind of cracked the shell for them. And you know, at times we all had anger. There was a lot of anger going on. It's how could God let our family down because we've been so faithful and we sacrificed so much, you know, for God, uh, building churches and taking churches, you know, where there was no income to speak of. We lived in poverty and, you know, so there was, there was, I don't know, as you can tell, I'm still kind of floating in this ocean of anger and somewhat angry at myself because I'm like, gosh, I'm an intelligent person. How could have I Falling for this hook, line, and sinker, no, no, but don't beat yourself you know, up over that. Still working Look, we through have, it. We have all been there. Do not punish yourself. We, I mean, I, I I know exactly what you're talking about, but you were holding your breath for probably decades. Now you're breathing. Now you're able to to yeah. live life as it is. You're able to be who you are. There's a letter I have on the thinkingatheist.com blog. It's called "You're Beautiful." I don't know if you've seen it or if you've seen that uh, letter read in one of my speeches. If you get five minutes, go read that sucker. That's for you, all right? Just be encouraged, Thanks. all right? Thanks, Seth. All right. You take care of yourself. Okay, bye. I capped a presentation that I had been doing uh, probably for nine months with a letter that I read to the audience just called You Beautiful. And it's designed for anybody who has been told that they are broken or they're in rebellion or they're perverse or they're ugly because they don't fit into some religious cookie cutter, some cultural cookie cutter, any cookie cutter. And uh, I have had people send me messages from all over the world who said that it's just what they needed to hear at the right time. And I absolutely think it's, it's an encouragement. So anyway, you go to thethinkingatheist.com. Just go to editor's blog and look for the blog entry called You're Beautiful, all right? And be encouraged. I had a message in from Evan. He said, I'd like to share something I almost feel ashamed I used to believe. I first worked as a dealer at a casino during the summer after my junior year of college. Nowhere is misinformation and superstition more rife, especially on the craps table. <laughs> If the dice go off the table, you better turn off your bets. The dreaded seven's coming. Stick change, here comes that seven. What I discovered during the summer is a culture of people that subscribe to dice control, or more accurately, dice influence. This is not a form of cheating like dice sliding, but rather, as the dice controllers explain a specific way of setting and throwing the dice as to slightly reduce the seven, slightly increase other numbers you're betting, therefore allowing you to gain an edge over the house, I would spend hours practicing my grip and release, setting up a small apparatus to throw into that mimicked the crafts table. While it's true it takes very little change in probability to actually gain an edge, the physical ability required to make that change is quite difficult. You have to throw the dice five feet or more and ensure they barely hit the back wall, which is covered with small rubber pyramids, nicknamed alligator bumps. Those alligator bumps are to ensure the dice become random. After weeks and months of play in 2010 and 2011, I'd convinced myself I had an edge even though I had no winnings to show for it. I'd made excuses, such as I'd spend all the winnings, 
or the too many off days had eaten into my bankroll, I now have the belief that this dice control is not actually possible. And this comes from the dozens of people I see attempted while I'm working. There would surely be thousands of people winning millions off the tables all across the country, and casinos would be forced to change procedure. Alas, no major procedural changes have been made. I feel much better now staying out of the casino, and my finances better in line. Thank you so much, Evan, for the message. Chad said, I used to believe I had a sense for bad situations. For example, once upon a time I was on a road trip with college friends. I was riding in a car with someone who thought the Chevy Cavalier was a marvel of engineering, the likes of which humanity had never seen before. So the Cavalier led the convoy, barreling south through the Dakotas at an average speed of 95 miles an hour. Ahead of us was a long bend in the road obscured by a hill. While the road ahead was yet out of our view, I suddenly had a feeling that we should slow down. When I say a feeling, I mean an incredibly strong sense that without an immediate reduction in speed, bad things were certain to be in our future. I didn't say anything to the driver. As we came around the bend, we met a state trooper going in the other direction. He pulled over both vehicles in our convoy. I've had many experiences like this. This one in particular informed me that I should listen to those feelings and act on them without question. I used to think God was watching out for me. I used to believe he was telling me when bad things were about to happen. I've been without religion for a little more than a year. I now reject all things supernatural. I've not experienced any of these spidey sense feelings during that time. If I ever do, I'll probably still act on them, as I expect they simply come from experience that doing stupid things often results in negative consequences. Many thanks for your activism and storytelling, Chad. Chad, thanks so much for that. We've all had those sort of, but premonition's not the word. So, you know, you're cruising along at 95 miles an hour and you're about to go over a hill. Sure, you know, you've got that sort of beeping alarm of danger in the back of your skull. Something awry could happen. It's a great unknown over there. There's nothing supernatural. I think it's just... Common sense mixed with experience, mixed with just plain logic. Holy shit, we're doing 95 miles an hour. <laughs> and we can't see what's over the hill. That kind of thing. It's been a fun show. Taking just a real fast look at some of the more bizarre things that we used to believe. It's amazing how often uh, the calls lent themselves to sort of conversations about the Pentecostal church and the speaking in tongues tonight. That's sort of an unexpected theme that popped up for those of us raised in those environments, and I was for several years. My mom was Pentecostal. Dad was more like ex-Lutheran. Uh, it sort of rings a bell. It's, it's a bizarre culture. If you ever get a chance to... If you don't know what we're talking about with the speaking in other tongues, the speaking in the language of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost is the caller reference, just go online and YouTube Pentecostal speaking in tongues. It'll freak you out. It'll just blow your mind. And, uh, but anyway, it's always fun to be able to, to sort of look at uh, how otherwise irrational people can be irrational. And it's a reminder, I think, to all of us that we need to keep our eyes and ears open and keep ourselves in check and allow other people to keep us in check, to always be curious, to always be asking questions, to maybe listen to those voices of doubt. And, um, you know, and if we see irrationality sort of pop up in our lives, 
do something about it and get better information, deal with it, try to move on as best we can. That's the human experience as best as I can describe it. Coming up next week on the Thinking Atheist radio podcast, we're going to talk about some genuinely horrifying bedtime Bible stories. And you know what? If you've got a story in the Bible that you sort of wish would be highlighted in some of these places, just so people knew what was being taught to children. You can email that example to podcast at thethinkingatheist.com with my thanks. Tonight's broadcast brought to you again by our sponsor. So thankful for naturebox.com. Get your free sampler box of great tasting healthy snacks right now. Go to naturebox.com slash thinkingatheist. That's naturebox.com slash thinkingatheist. Take care of yourself. I'll see you next week. Follow The Thinking Atheist on Facebook and Twitter. Watch dozens of original videos on The Thinking Atheist YouTube channel. And visit our website for resources, links, contact information, the editor's blog, and more. TheThinkingAtheist.com With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.